Hello, this is Risa Courier, host of the Alliance podcast, coming to you from the Humane Rescue Alliance in Washington, D.C. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Colleen Harrington. She is my colleague in New Jersey at St. Hubert's Animal Welfare Center, and Colleen is the, the Waystation Program Director. So many of you may be familiar with the incredible work of the Waystation that not only moves animals from crisis to care, but also provides life-saving resources for the communities that the Waystation is working with. So I'm really excited to talk to Colleen and learn more about the work that the Waystation does and how they're continuing to operate the gas has been full, fully pressed, um, even despite a pandemic going on. So welcome, Colleen. Thank you, Risa. That was quite an introduction. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm, I'm really glad that you make, made the time to, to join us here. Obviously, you are very busy um, moving animals from all corners of the country, um, including even outside of the country to Canada and coming from <laughs> islands and all sorts of places. So um, I'm glad you made the chance to, to talk to us. So for for people that don't know about the way station, could you talk a little bit about how when it was created, how it came about, and and what the goal of the way station is? Of course. Um. So, the way station transport program it's a network of over ninety shelter and rescue partners all over the country, and we all work together to move dogs from areas of need to areas of opportunity. The program, it, you know, it really started a long time ago locally in New Jersey, where we. We did the same sort of thing with New Jersey shelters where we transferred dogs, maybe from South Jersey up to our campus, and we gave them a portion of the adoption fee to help run their programs. And so really, we just, we saw every, all these shelters in the Northeast transporting dogs up and down the Northeast corridor, right? And we were like, each shelter was going and getting like five to 10 dogs at a time. And we're like, that's not efficient. It's not economical. And we knew with a little bit of coordination and one person to step, one group to step up and be like, we can handle that. We could spend the same amount of resources and transfer a lot of dogs all at once and sort of operate on a hub and spoke model where, you know, St. Hubert's is the hub or the way station. We receive a large transport of dogs and then we share them with our, with our partners. And that way, each group gets a little bit of dogs. They don't displace their local pets. And we, we do the transport humanely, efficiently, and economically. Wow. Well, that's um, incredible. And uh, the first time I met you, I remember I was at the, the Madison campus, and I went into your office, and I just saw your computer, and it was all these layers of spreadsheets, <laughs> and everything was color-coded. And I was like, wow, that is a woman that has a very logistical brain. And <laughs> it's so cool to see that being put to work to move animals. Really, it's almost like when you think of multinational corporations like the logistics department, that is the level of detail. And it is a, it's, it's a moving, like the target's always moving, right? Because the conditions of animals change, the needs change. And how, how do you deal with all of that, Colleen? <laughs> with all those moving pieces to move animals and, and to coordinate with 90 different organizations? Yes, it is. It's a lot of scheduling. It's a lot of logistics. Um, it's a lot of spreadsheets. Did I say that? <laughs> it's a lot of spreadsheets. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a constantly, everything is constantly 
dependent on which partners we're working with, the dogs themselves. We take a lot of time and care in making sure that our transports are fair, meaning that we are taking big dogs, old dogs, small dogs, puppies, like a variety of everything. And also that our receiving partners are getting that also. So yeah, it's a lot, but we take really good pride in the fairness that we have on our transports and also the meticulous, you know, all the details that we have to look out for. So would you say that most of the um, source shelters, so the shelters that you're taking animals from, are those mostly in the southeastern, southern part of the United States? Most of them are in the southeast. Uh, we do have some partners in Ohio, and then we also go as far west as Texas, and that's via our Wings of Rescue and ASPCA partnership. Those are all flights. You can't drive that far. Oh, those are flights. <laughs> okay. Yes, that's good. Yes. Would you say, I mean, what are the characteristics of those shelters? Are they mostly rural? Are they from communities that have higher than normal poverty rates? Given that we have over 50 sending partners that we're working with, we have um, partners on every level you could think of. So we have some really well-run larger shelters that are like more in like cities. Um, And then we have some very rural shelters where they may be the only shelter within a few hours drive and have a very limited budget. So we have a unique perspective of working with a lot of different organizations. The challenges that they all deal with, I mean, they all have in common that they just have an overpopulation. So they have, you know, don't get me wrong, there's wonderful animal loving adopters in those communities. They just don't have enough of them to meet the intake that they're experiencing. Right. And I I think sometimes those shelters that are, are overburdened and really struggling under the weight of overpopulation often get a very bad rap that they are somehow failing the animals and failing their communities. And you work with those shelters on a regular basis and and probably even would consider, you know, some of those shelter staff your friends. Um, I know you have a lot of respect for the work that they do. So how do you respond to those kind of blanket, I don't know, judgments on shelters that are struggling with the weight of overpopulation. So you're right. Most of those people are my friends. All of them are my friends. And they are working so hard with such limited resources. That's why we're always really careful with the language we use. Like, you know, we don't like the term kill shelters. They're not, nobody wants to euthanize a dog or cat. They're busting their butts to save as many animals as possible. So I think that's what's unique about our waste station transport program. We really follow the hands up approach, we call it, and that's investing in our sending partners. So for all the dogs that come on transport, a portion of their adoption fees are sent back to the sending shelters, and that's used to cover medical prep expenses and also um, spay neuter in the community. And in the past four years, we've given over half a million dollars back to those sending shelters. So they can, you know, not only does the transport is great that it gives them some space and it frees up some staffing resources, but that's not enough. That's like putting a bandaid on the problem. You have to have the hands up approach where you're really giving them funds to, you know, create spay neuter programs in their community. We offer educational support where we sponsor, we do um, scholarships to like HSUS Expo. We also do on-site mentorship for them in whatever they need help with. We share um, physical resources such as donations and things like that. So we really want to get them to a point where they don't need us anymore. You know, we want them to get to a point where they don't need to transport their dogs and, you know, they're working with their community and they're in a good spot. Well, and it can happen. I think 
you know, I, we look back at the history of the Humane Rescue Alliance, which now St. Hubert's is part of um, through a, mer- a merger in 2019. But the Humane Rescue Alliance based in Washington, D.C., just over, what, 10, 12 years ago, was also struggling with overpopulation. And our current CEO, Lisa LaFontaine, came um, and took the helm um, as the president and CEO, then it was Washington Humane Society. And I believe the live release rate of WHS at that time was about 30%. And, you know, that's a, that's a steep, a steep hill to climb up. And she did it. And it took a long time. And it was, you know, it was working, you know, in coordination with, with other rescues and other shelters to help just give uh, the staff and some breathing room and transporting animals. It was changing some administrative policies. It was working in collaboration with the community. So those things, you know, shelters can turn around. I mean, and and we're seeing that happen, right, all around the country. Absolutely. I remember starting, we used to transport with an organization in Virginia, like, just 10 years ago. And now they're actually transporting animals in. So it's definitely happening and it's happening pretty quickly. Shelters, like especially, you know, I live in New Jersey, so I sort of focus on the Northeast and I know I know what we have. But shelters that have the resources and the capacity, I mean, we can't just be like, okay, here we are with our empty kennels. You know, we really, it's like a collective responsibility to help our colleagues that aren't there yet. So I really just feel like we should be giving back. Right. And, and, and like, you know, you have said before that all these animals need is a ride. They they ended up yes. in the shelter in these communities through no fault of their own. And they just need a ride to opportunity. Yeah. And so um, it's amazing to see what St. Hubert's has done by not only giving them a ride, but also best investing in that source shelter um, so they want to one day can be position themselves to be a destination shelter. And it's it's um, it's a really proactive process that's just more than treating the symptom. You also um, now that St. Hubert's has really become over the last few years, a best in class transport program. And you now participate in, um, the Maddie's Fun apprenticeship. Could you talk a little bit about that and what, what you do through that program? Sure. Over the past two and a half years, I'd say we had, we've had, um, almost 40 animal welfare professionals from all over the country come to St. Hubert's and participate in a three-day hands-on intensive transport apprenticeship. So they were there with us for, like I said, three days for the week. They unloaded transports, they did spreadsheets with us, etc. And we were able to just share information about our program. We really think the way we run our program is well run. And if, if people all over the country could sort of duplicate that, I mean, I think that would just cast a huge safety net all over the country for animals. So unfortunately, COVID has uh, put a stop to our apprenticeships for now, but our apprenticeship will be going into an online course through Maddie's Fund. So that will be really great. And people can take it at their leisure and even better way to get the word out. Transport has gotten, I think there was a New York Times article, I think that was really cast a very like negative view on transport. And, and it made, you know, I thought the article made some legitimate, had some legitimate criticisms, but, you know, transport really kicked up a notch 
after Hurricane Katrina, when suddenly there was this need to move a lot of animals out of Louisiana and other places impacted and move them to other locations. And then you saw just sort of this overnight women and men, you know, using their minivans and whatever (laughs) vehicles they had and filling them with animals and moving them. And, and, you know, People should understand, like, there's this isn't like a tightly regulated industry. This isn't for some of these folks. It's like, like you said, they're moving like three and five animals at a time, whatever they can fit into their car and van. And there's not a lot of strategy and and thought put into, you know, the destination and 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 you know the specific behavior or medical needs of these animals and. Those kinds of things. So how do you think your work with the way station and, you know, Maddie's fund, what are you, are you hoping to kind of change transport and, and professionalize it and make it more of create some standardizations, I guess? Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, there's a lot of New England states that have really tight restrictions on transport and it's mostly, you know, around the medical vaccinations and testing and things like that. And that was really born out of all the transport done after Hurricane Katrina because people were just bringing dogs everywhere without the proper documentation with diseases. So yes, when you follow the correct, we were pretty adamant about following, you know, all regulations, all state regulations to a T. And when you do that, that sort of eliminates some of the backstops because like I said, some of the New England states, and I'm sure there's states in like Colorado and Oregon and Mm -hmm. Washington that have really strict regulations that really don't necessarily make too much sense, but they, if you're doing it right, it doesn't make too much sense, you know, why they're there. Um, but yeah. they did that. They put, they instituted all those regulations because transport wasn't it being done properly. So, I mean, I think it's really important in anybody that any reputable organization that runs transport, they know it's also important that you have the correct documentation, that you have the, the animals are healthy, they're being transported humanely, you know, so it's just really important that if we all follow a standard protocol, then we're all going to be better for it. And so will the dogs. Yes, exactly. And that's something that I've seen firsthand that you are incredibly meticulous about all of the medical documentation for the animals that you are bringing in to New Jersey to the hub. So, Colleen, what would be your advice that you would give to other shelters that are looking to start a transport program or are looking to expand a transport program? Um, well, I know I sound like I'm preaching, but really just the whole hands-up approach. It, the rela- A transport yes. relationship should be mutually beneficial to both parties. So it's a lot of work for our sending partners to get the dogs ready for transport, to fill out the spreadsheets. To, you know, it's a lot of work for them just to move them out. So, and then the receiving partners are getting dogs ready for adoption and they adopt them out. So, you know, any, any groups that are receiving groups that have the resources and the capacity to do transport should also have the resources to give a hands up to their partners that are sending them the dogs. What would you say to shelters, to, to potential destination shelters that they do have those empty kennels and what would you say to them to encourage them to consider enrolling into a transport program so they could receive animals from other parts of the country? I mean, really the same thing. I think it's, you know, communication is really important when it comes to um, getting transport partners. It's sort of hard, the first transport that you do with a partner because it's your first time and, you know, you're like, oh, well, this dog's really friendly. And you're like, what does friendly mean? <laughs> you know, so you have to have a lot of communication and a lot of relationship building. 
And you should be prepared to, you know, make sure that you are helping the sending partners, not just taking the dogs. Yeah, that's the important part. Yes. Like we're, I think if COVID has shown us anything is that we're all in this together. Yes. And um, if you work in animal welfare, it's truly been um, since March and all hands on deck approach that we're all trying to pitch in and just help the animals and the communities that we serve. So um, I think that's just always something to keep in mind with a free hand to help our other industry colleagues. So speaking of COVID, <laughs> how has the pandemic changed transport or has it? Um, for us, it hasn't changed it too much. You know, very early on, we were really worried about our sending partners. They were going to get inundated with animals and they weren't going to be able to transport. But we quickly instituted some COVID protocols. You know, we followed all the CDC guidelines. We followed all the state's executive orders on travel. But we've been able to continue operations. Late spring and summer, we were a little, you know, under our normal rate of transports. But we're we're back to it. And we're hoping that we can continue at the rate we're at now. Surprisingly, our sending partners really have not experienced a huge intake. And that's Yet, I should say, um, we're definitely worried that the economic implications of COVID are going to hit and because we're starting to see that, I think, even up here. So, but yeah, so far, so good. Uh, what, what's been really amazing is that the capacity at, the, at our shelter and the shelter, our Northeast shelter partners, I mean, we've all had waiting lists of adopters, waiting lists of fosters. So, I mean, we definitely had the capacity, which is why we were so thankful that we could continue doing transports during COVID. Well, you know, that is, I think that if there is a bright spot to be had in 2020, (laughs) it is the desire of so many people to share their homes and their lives with animals. I mean, the, the adoption rates around the country, this has been very consistent, has gone up dramatically and, you know, and, and for cats, for dogs, for small animals. And I think there's this recognition of the joy and comfort that animals can bring us, particularly in this time of isolation. I, I think we're all aware of the, the companionship animals provide now more than ever before. And I think it's just a really pivotal moment in our industry to see this happening. So I, I continue to just kind of hold on to that as, you know. <laughs> With all the craziness and all this. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's just so much tragedy and sadness. Mm -hmm. But I think at all, it's like people are, you know, bringing animals into their lives. And it's really helping people um, just with the mental and emotional toll of this time. So that's good. And I recently had a friend in California post on Facebook that she's casting a nationwide search to try to find a dog. And that's how it is to find a dog right now. And it's like... I sort of feel like, you know, I've always been the animal welfare person, like maybe not not the most like exciting <laughs> friend, you know, among my friend group. But suddenly now I feel like the celebrity because it's like, you know, I'm looking for a dog. Can you can you help me and, you know, work some back panels for me? We're on six waiting lists with different shelters. Oh <laughs> it's um it's really, it's a fascinating time, it is. but um, I'm glad that you've been able to continue to do the work and move the animals to places where they have opportunities to get adopted and, um, and change people's lives. And so that brings me to what I really want to ask you about is 
just all the great stories. I know I follow you on social media and you're always posting about like, oh, this dog that, you know, is like smelling out cancer, the cure for cancer or something. (laughs) This came from our source shelter. (laughs) And so you just, it's really cool to see that these, these animals, which, you know, they wouldn't have had a chance um, if they hadn't been able to catch a ride through the way station. And and now they're doing incredible things for their people and the communities. So can, can you talk a little bit about some of those animals? So many. Um, but I just thought it was funny. I knew we were going to talk today. And this morning I got an email from an adopter. Um, because for all the dogs that come through our way station program on the, in the adoption packet, there's a little like, hey, we'll take updates. Because we like yeah. to share those updates with the sending partner. Um, so I got an update on this little like six-month-old beagle houndy mix guy named Sammy from Mississippi. And the adopter was just, you know, saying, thanks so much. Like, here he is, you know, at the beach. Here he is here. And, you know, he's doing well. And at the end, it said something that he was like, you know, I I know you wanted to get an update on the dog that you wanted to have a better life. And then he said, and he is. And I just want you to know that his human family is going to have is having a better life, too. And I just thought I was like, oh, like just touched my heart so much because, you know, we're so lucky we work in this shelter where animals are just getting adopted every day. And of course we're like always happy right. when each one gets adopted, but like sometimes I, I forget to stop and think about how like life altering each adoption is like, not just for the pet, but for the family that's adopting them. So that was just super sweet. But so I'll tell you a couple of my more recent favorite stories we had. Well, of course there's Otter who came to us from Asheville Humane site and he's actually a contender in Petco Foundation's Holiday Wishes campaign going on right now. Yeah, so his um, otter was an adorable uh, dog that came up from Asheville Humane, and they're a regular partner of ours, and they're great. But the story of Otter's adopters, they, they're a very adventurous husband and wife couple, and the husband was in this catastrophic skydiving accident and he, where he impacted in the ground, and he was at the hospital right down the road from our shelter for, I think it was like nine months, and... One of the highlights of his, probably one of the few highlights of his hospital stay was when the therapy dogs would come to visit him. So when he was finally discharged from the hospital was right when COVID hit and everybody was going into quarantine. So here he's been stuck in the hospital for nine months. He's finally being released in a wheelchair, unfortunately. Mm. So the couple who, like I said, was very adventurous and was always on vacation and hiking and things like that. They're like, well, now we have time to really devote to a dog. And because the dogs made you so happy in the hospital... Let's go down to St. Hubert's to see if there's any dogs for adoption. And, you know, Otter had gotten there like two days before and they walked in and said what they were looking for. And our adoption counselor said, I have the right dog for you. And so, you know, and that couple just said that, you know, having him has been just so great and is really helping them move forward. So, I mean, just, you know, just that connection that was made is just amazing. That's so great. Those are great stories. I love this, the one about Sammy the Hound Dog, because you're right. I think... You know, and sometimes in the work, we think so much about the animal side, but, you know, on the people side that we are creating and expanding families every time an adoption happens. And, you know, you just have no idea the incredible impact that animal is going to go on to have to that family and the people that love him or her. Exactly. Well, that is, thank you, Colleen, for sharing that. So one last question I want to sure. ask you, because. You have a really interesting background, um, you know, because I think some people listening like, how in the world would you end up doing this, you know, overseeing this complex way station program? And your career in animal welfare actually started in a really interesting way. It started on a beach in Venezuela. <laughs> and you uh, 
talk a little bit about that. <laughs> sure. Um, so I was fortunate enough after I graduated college to have access to a free beach house in Venezuela. So me and my boyfriend at the time went on a six month long sort of like post-college vacation. And while we were there, unfortunately experienced so many stray dogs at this fishing village and they all sort of lived there, but none of them were really claimed by anyone. Um, so we spent a lot of our time taking care of the animals there. And then when it was time for me to come home, I moved back, I came home with, you know, no money and moved back in with my parents and was like, I had to find a job. And I opened up the newspaper, which, you know, shows you how old I am. I had to open up the newspaper yes. to look for a job. <laughs> and I saw an ad for a kennel attendant at an animal shelter. So I went and applied and I got the job for $7 an hour. And that's where my career started in animal welfare. And I haven't looked back since. <laughs> well, and then you went on to do, you know, lead operations yes. for it was the Madison campus, yes. right? Yes, or- I was um, the director of operations at St. Hubert's for several years before I did take a three-year hiatus when I started my family. But when this way station program was born, I was asked to come back and run the program. And I said, sure, I'll do that. <laughs> and I really think my operations background helps me a lot with um, transport because you have to, you know, working in transport, you have to understand the medical behavior yeah. and just how shelters work in general. So, no, you definitely uh, have to know sheltering front and back and also have a very holistic view of every animal that you're working with. Mm-hmm. So, um, you're definitely the right person for the job. <laughs> and we're very lucky, Colleen, to have you oh, um, thanks, on this program. And, it, it definitely is a program that, you know, I love learning about and it's it's just so exciting to see the difference that you're, you guys are making around the country every single day as you're moving animals around and you're dealing with all sorts of challenges and adverse weather. Oh, and yes, and it, yeah. it's also really incredible to see all the network of just good human beings that are involved with this process. It, it's just uplifting. It's really amazing. And I feel super lucky to do what I do. And I, you know, there's just so many people that I have met that are my, I consider friends that I would have never met if it wasn't for this program. So I'm super thankful. Well, thank you, Colleen, for your time. And anybody wants to learn more about the Waystation program, they can go to St. Hubert's website, and I think it's forward slash Waystation. And there's a wonderful summary and a beautiful video um, just capturing uh, a day in the life of Colleen (laughs) and and the amazing animals she's moving all around. giving them a second opportunity. So thanks for taking a few minutes of your time, Colleen, to join us. And um, for those of you who are listening, please subscribe to the podcast so you can hear more great interviews like this one.